But today, we're going to be in Psalm 84. So you can turn there in your Bibles, or it will be on the screen behind you. But I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about hunger. Now, I have a definition of hunger that we'll put up on the screen here. The most common way that we use that word is a feeling or displaying of the need for food, right? Uh, That's something that some of you will experience even during this sermon, right? Feeling the need for food or displaying the need for food. But sometimes we use it to mean something else. We mean that uh, we have a strong desire or craving. When we say we hunger after something, uh, we're talking about having a strong desire or craving. Now really, when we use hunger in that second sense, uh, there's two dimensions to it. There's an inner emotional dimension to that word hunger, and there's also an outer behavioral dimension to that word hunger. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine with me an Olympic athlete who's preparing for years and years uh, to participate, to compete in the Olympics. Um, I think it would be right to say that they are hungry for the gold, right? That they are desiring or craving that gold medal. And certainly there's an inner emotional aspect to that. There's something about that journey of training for the Olympics that probably consumes their inner life, their thoughts, their emotions. There's an inner drive that's causing them uh, to train and to sacrifice and do all that they need to do to be able to compete. So there's this inner emotional aspect. But there's also this outer behavioral dimension to hunger too because it's conceivable, right, that an athlete like that probably doesn't wake up every single morning desiring to get into the gym and train, they probably wake up some days and the emotion isn't there, right? The craving, the desire, it doesn't feel as strong, but if they're really hungry for that gold, even when they don't feel like it, they'll still get up out of bed and they'll go to the gym, they'll do uh, the training that they need to do to prepare for that gold. And we could even argue that on the days when they don't feel like it, their hunger is maybe even greater, right? When they push themselves to do it anyway. So when we talk about hunger this way, it does intersect with our emotional lives. We are sometimes talking about a feeling when we talk about being hungry for God, something that the scripture has a lot to say about. We just read a bunch of scriptures during worship on that topic. When scripture talks about being hungry or thirsty for God, there is an emotional aspect to that, an inner emotional, all-consuming aspect to that. But it's more than that, right? Hunger doesn't just manifest in our emotions. It can also manifest in our behaviors as well, even when we aren't feeling it. So in just a moment, we're going to read a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 84, about hunger. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs or poems that most of them were originally used in the public worship of God's people. And the psalm that we're going to look at today is written from the perspective of somebody who has a longing, a desire to travel to Jerusalem to worship at the temple in a feast that's going to celebrate God's goodness and power, but for some unknown reason that we don't know, because the text doesn't tell us, they're unable to make it to the celebration. And this creates a hunger, a longing, a desire inside of them. And so they begin to sing about their desire for God and their desire to be near his presence at the temple. Now, you may know in the Old Testament, before Jesus was on the earth, um, 
there was a tabernacle, a tent, and then later a building, a temple, that God chose to be a hot spot for his presence. If you wanted to be near the presence of God, then you would go to that tent, the tabernacle, and later on uh, the temple to worship. Now we know God doesn't live in a tent, and he doesn't live in a building. His presence fills the whole universe, but in the way that God was working with his people in the Old Testament, there was a hot spot on earth of, of the activity of his presence, and it was in these places. And of course, today, there's no building like that. This is just a building that we meet in. It's not a temple or a tabernacle like was in the Old Testament, because the teaching after Jesus is that we are the temple, right? Because the presence of God lives inside of us. The hot spot is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be looking at next week as we begin our journey through the book of Acts. But in the Old Testament, in Psalm 84, there's a longing and a desiring to be near the temple. We often stand in honor of God's word. I'd ask if you would do that. And let's read together Psalm 84. It'll be on the screen behind me. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen? You can take your seat. Um, I love the Psalms. For hundreds of years, uh, the Psalms have been the prayer book of Jews and Christians. We know that Jesus immersed himself in the Psalms because he often quoted them. Uh, in his teachings, and I have a lot of books on my shelf that are helpful in prayer, that have different prayers and scripture readings, Uh, but in my experience, there's nothing better than the Psalms, and I encourage you, as you engage the Lord in prayer, open your Bibles to this book. It will teach you how to pray uh, the more time that you spend in it. So there's so much that I could pull out of this Uh, passage this morning. I'm not going to have time to say everything that could be said about Psalm 84, but I just want to make some observations about hunger, and then I'm going to tie this all together for you. So first of all, hunger for God is right because God is good, right? Uh, Verse 1 says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. That word lovely is the language of a love poem, of deep affection, of deep adoration. When you think about physical hunger, you know that some foods are more worthy objects of our desiring than other foods, right? Depending on your preference and depending on how you were raised and the foods you've been exposed to, there's going to be some foods that really bring out hunger out of you, right? And there's going to be others that do the opposite. I love fruit, all kinds of fruit, 
Um, you know, when I was in Sri Lanka just a couple weeks ago, I had some of the best papaya and pineapple and mango that I've ever had in my life, ever. This phenomenal fruit, coconut too, I love pretty much all of it. It is a worthy object of my desiring, right? Of my hunger. But bananas, I mean, what the heck, you know? They're just not the same. And I know some of you love bananas, and every couple years I decide to give bananas another chance, you know? To be merciful, and I, you know, I hear how they're good for you, and you know, I run or work out, and I hear that they're good after that, so you know, I'll try one. And friends, I just can't do it, you know? Because we hunger and we desire after that which we know is good, after that which we perceive is good. And friends, God is worthy of being hungered after because he is the ultimate definition of good, because he defines what's good in the universe, because all of the good that we experience in this life is really just a reflection of his goodness. I also want you to know this, that you are wired to be hungry after God. Verse 2 says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. That verb, cry out, um, is a strong action word that describes crying out, not necessarily in joy, but actually in anguish or pain. Like, there's a desperation in this. And the author of this psalm is saying, Everything within me is crying out in desperation for God, to be near to God. Now, you might be wondering as I say that, how is it that I'm supposed to work up that kind of hunger? Is there kind of, some kind of switch that I turn on in my spiritual walk that makes me hungry? Well, you're going to hear me say it through this whole sermon. But hunger is actually something that begins with God, not with us. And see, whether we realize it or not, he has actually wired us to be hungry for him. Here's one of the ways that he's done it, is all of us in this room and every human that was ever born was born with core needs or core longings. Among those are acceptance, the desire to know that we aren't rejected, security, to know that we are safe psychologically and emotionally and physically and significance, to know that our lives matter and that we have purpose. And really, from the youngest years of our existence, we are pursuing to get those needs met. We even learn to manipulate our parents, to manipulate relationships, so that we can get those needs met. But you see, the needs are legitimate. God created us with those needs. Now, we often turn to people and places and things to make us feel accepted and secure and significant, And many of those things do not satisfy us. They might give us some measure of satisfaction, but we still find ourselves longing. And this is why I say that we are wired for hunger after God, because ultimately, our desire to be accepted is met in a connection with a God who accepts us because of his love and his grace. Our desire to feel safe is met in a God who keeps us safe eternally, Because of his grace, our desire to feel significant is met in our connection with a God who created our lives with purpose and meaning. And so long before we even realize that God is who we're searching for, we're searching because we want these needs met. Next, we can position ourselves to be hungry for God. Look what it says in verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself 
where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. The author of this psalm expresses a holy kind of jealousy um, toward an animal and then toward a group of people. Um, He so wants to be near to God that he's jealous of the birds that built their nests in the structure of the temple, around the temple, because they get to be near God all the time. And then there's this holy jealousy for the priests and the singers who are in the temple day and night worshiping before God. And this person can't get to the temple, and so he's, want, he's longing to be near there like those birds and those worshipers are. He wants to position his life in hunger for God. Now, I'm going to keep saying it. Hunger is not something that we can stir up. And I'm going to say in a moment that hunger is not something that twists the arm of God or that we earn anything from God with, but we can position our lives in hunger. It says in Psalm 81, God says this, Open your mouth and I will fill it. I don't know if you've ever tried to feed a young child um, who you know is hungry and you have baby food on a spoon to give them, but they just won't open their mouth, right? See, giving food is the responsibility of the parent, right? But positioning to receive the food is the responsibility of your one-year-old, right? They must open their mouth to get what is being given. And God asks us to position ourselves in hunger. How do we position ourselves? Well, there's a lot I could say about that, but ultimately we position ourselves just by showing up. If we're not hungry, we show up around people who are. We show up in environments where God is cultivating hunger. We show up to the Word of God because as we spend time in the Word again and again and again, hunger grows in our hearts. We show up in prayer. We show up in fasting. We're not earning anything. We're not trying to stir anything up, but we're saying we're opening our mouths so that our deepest longings can be satisfied and filled. Next, the hunger of your community for God, the hunger of of your, oh, I have this wrong here. The intensity of your community's hunger for God is your intensity, all right? Here's what I mean by this. There's an interesting change that happens in verse five of the psalm. Up until this point, the author has just been talking about himself. I'm longing, I'm desiring, I wish I could be like those birds that are in the temple. But in verse five, something changes. He starts imagining a group of people Because remember, what he is not able to attend is a religious feast that's going to honor God at the temple. That's not something that just individuals do. That's something that a whole group of people does together. They would travel together to the temple as a family or as a village, go on the way together. Hunger is an issue of not just how we feel individually or how we position ourselves individually, but what God stirs in us as a community of people. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because, friends, if you're here today and you feel dry and stuck in your spiritual journey, you feel like you know there's not a switch that you can turn on to make yourself spiritually hunger for God, I want you to know this. The spiritual hunger that God has put around you is your hunger too. It means something for you, even when you are in the difficult place, even when you are in the dry place. And I just encourage you, rather than comparing yourself and feeling guilty, allow yourself to receive and benefit from the hunger that God has put around you, even if you're not feeling it, 
Even if you're struggling to position yourselves in it, there's a freedom in that because we're experiencing this journey together, not just as individuals. Next, hunger for God changes the atmosphere. Um, It says in verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, this is not a literal geographic location. It's an imaginary location that the author of this psalm uh, puts in to make a point. The word Baca is Hebrew for balsam tree. It's a kind of like shrubby tree that grows in the desert, that grows in thirsty places, places where there is no water. So the, the idea here is they pass through the valley of thirst. Now, let's just stop and think about that for a second. How many of you have been in a valley of thirst at some point in your, in your life, a season of thirst, a season of hunger, a season of desert a season where it feels like God isn't hearing or God isn't answering. See, this is so freeing because the author of this psalm is saying, this is normal. This is part of the journey of hungering after God. At some point, somehow, some way, you're going to end up in a desert. You're going to end up in a thirsty place. You're going to end up in the valley of thirst. And then the psalm goes on to tell us that there are two ways that God works to address this thirst. First of all, it says they make it a place of springs. The picture here is of the people of God traveling to the temple through the desert, and they just begin to dig in the sandy earth with a perseverance until they find the water. Come on, thou preach, come on. They just begin to dig with the perseverance of faith, until they find water in the sandy earth. They don't throw up their hands, all hopeless. They don't give up. They say, we're just going to dig until we find something that can satisfy our thirst. That's one way God does it. But the, the next part of the verse is actually, in some ways, the opposite. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Uh, People can't do anything to make rain come. We can barely predict when rain is going to come, right? It belongs to God completely, and this is another way that God can satisfy the thirst of the desert, is just to take things into his own hands and do it his own way and send the rain. But the picture here is this. When God's people are in the desert, there's, there's hope in this for you today. Listen, when God's people are in the desert, when you're in the lonely place, when you're in the stuck place, when you can't find the switch to turn on hunger for God, when you're in that place, far from it being hopeless, it is a place where you can both receive God's blessing and give God's blessing, even in the desert. You can receive the rain and you can dig into the earth and find the spring. And the result of that is going to be that when God's people travel through the desert, they do not leave it the same. Amen? They do not leave it the same. We as a community of people, not just as individuals, There's a community of people who have hunger stirring inside of them. We travel through the thirsty places of our lives, the thirsty, dry places of our families, of our community, of churches, and we do not leave those places the same because God always answers hunger and thirst with food and water. Amen? Next, God sustains us in the pain of the hunger. Look what it says in verse 7. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Let me ask you a question. Who here likes the feeling of being hungry in your stomach? Who here likes it when your stomach is in pain? 
Who here likes it when your stomach is rumbling? I don't know about you, but I go to great lengths sometimes to eat before I even feel that feeling, right? If you just eat early enough and often enough, you never have to feel hungry, right? You can just avoid the pain. I was snacking. I was eating some, you know, tortilla chips and salsa at 11 o'clock last night just to hold me over through the night, you know, just to make sure that I didn't wake up hungry, right? We go to great lengths to avoid the pain. There's something very honest in this psalm that our desiring, our pursuing after God is going to be something that that creates pain in us because hunger is very often a painful feeling. But friend, if you are in the painful place, if you are in the pain of, of praying and not seeing an answer or seeking God and feeling like he's not coming in the way that you want to see him come, I just want to tell you this. In the pain, there's always a promise. We've been saying that for the last few weeks. In the pain, there's always a promise. And here's the promise for the pain of hunger. They go from strength to strength. In the pain, they just get stronger. In the desert, they just get more confident. They begin, their faith rises up in a new way like it wasn't there before. Hope becomes unshakable in the place of suffering. I feel like I'm saying some good things this morning. Amen? All right. Next, hunger for God changes our priorities. Verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. As, as hunger becomes a way of life, as we lean into the pain and we don't run from it, something happens. Our priorities change. The, the person who wrote this psalm is saying, I'd rather spend one day in God's temple than a thousand days anywhere else. There's nowhere better to be than in God's presence. I would rather be a lowly servant in the temple, a doorkeeper in the temple, than dwell in the homes and the luxury and the comfort of the wicked apart from God's presence. And there's something that happens as we're on this journey together where our priorities change. We begin to use our time differently. We begin to use our money differently. Something happens in a church when we begin to prioritize hunger after the presence of God. It changes the priorities of that place. It changes the ministries of that place. We can't be the same as we're seeking after him. And lastly, God will always fill the hunger that he creates. Verse 11, um, it says, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter five, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And here's another promise in that pain. There is no hunger that God has wired you for, allowed you to pass through a desert to cultivate in your life. There's no hunger that God creates that he also will not fill. This is a promise that is tied to his character. It's tied to who he is. He is loving, and that's why he fills the hungry and the thirsty places. Now, as I close, let me just tie this all together here for us today. You know, I was in Nepal a couple weeks ago, as, as many of you know, and I was in the capital city of Kathmandu, and the pastors that we were with uh, were either Hindus or Buddhists when Jesus encountered them and asked them to follow him. And their lives were radically changed. And so there was one pastor and his wife who were translating for us while we were preaching. He was raised Hindu when Jesus encountered him. 
And she was raised Buddhist when Jesus encountered, encountered her, both incredible stories of how Jesus healed people in their families. And that's how they came to see the truth that there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except for the name of Jesus. It changed them forever. And so this pastor was taking us around. We had a free day. This pastor's taking us around Kathmandu and showing us the sites. And the city is filled with Hindu and Buddhist temples, many of which are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Some of them United Nations World Heritage Sites. And some of the most beautiful architecture that you'll ever see. I mean, just stunningly beautiful places to see. And many of these places are just centuries and centuries old. We went to this Buddhist temple in the middle of Kathmandu, and we're walking around and seeing that part of the city, and I had never seen anything like that. It was a circle, white structure, really large, that had a tower coming out of the top of it, and there were different worshipers doing different things. Um, obviously, I didn't understand everything that I was seeing, but we're walking around the structure, and I saw something I'd never seen before. There was a guy uh, whose legs worked just fine, but he was on all fours, and he was dragging himself around the temple structure. So he would put his hands forward, and then he would drag his knees along the cement. And then he put his hands forward, and then he would drag his knees along the cement. And, and he was going like this around this huge structure. I don't know how many times he was going to go around this temple. And so I asked uh, the pastor, um, and remember his wife had had uh, um, decided to follow Jesus out of a Buddhist background. And so, so I thought he might know what was going on. So I said, can you explain you know, what's happening here to me? And he said, well, this man is trying to increase his devotion to God so that God will hear his prayers. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of things at the temple that you could do to increase your hunger or increase your devotion for God so that God would hear your prayers. You could write your prayers on a little flag and hang it up. Or they had these cylinders that had inscriptions of prayers written on them, and you could spin them many times as, as a prayer. A whole bunch of different things that you could do, and, and then more severe things like dragging yourself along the ground. But as I reflected on what I saw that day, I realized this. It is true of every human-made religion that we try to find ways to express our hunger as a transaction with God so that he gives us what we need from him, right? And listen, let's not be judgmental of my Buddhist friend because it's as true in Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam as it is in Christianity, if it's just a religion for us, right? We, we take the juice and we eat the bread and we say our prayers and, and maybe we vote a certain way and we, and we try to you know, be at the church every time the door is open and we abstain from certain things and we follow this list of rules and sometimes in our hearts is this thing that if we're hungry enough, if we work up the hunger enough, if we pray enough, if we fast enough, if, if we don't do that sin, if we promise God we won't do that sin again, that somehow he will honor this and give us what we're asking for, whether it's acceptance or security or significance or just an answer to our prayers or God to move in a certain way in our lives. The temptation is real to try to use hunger as a way to manipulate God's love for us. But friends, I haven't, listen, I haven't been called to preach to you a religion. 
I don't stand up here every Sunday to preach to you a religion. What Jesus left behind was a gospel, a word which means good news. So my question this morning is, what is the good news regarding hunger for God? Well, here it is, friends. First of all, the bad news. This is a beautiful declaration of somebody who is hungry for God on this day. Can we be honest? On the day it was written, this person was feeling it. And sometimes when we read Psalm 84, we feel it too. We have days we feel hungry, but can we be honest? There isn't one of us in this room that's hungry enough for God. There isn't one of us in this room that's always hungry for God. There isn't one of us in this room that's made it through that desert without messing up, without sinning, without letting the pain get to us. That's happened to every single one of us in this room. So the bad news is, even if someone is really devoted and does the stuff and does all the church things and abstains from what they're supposed to, still, it will not be enough hunger to express the amount of love that God is worthy of as the creator of of the universe, and all of us are in that boat. So here's the good news. God was hungry for you before you ever were hungry for him. He was hungry for you before you ever thought of him. He, his desire to be connected to you was there before you ever thought of him, before you ever fasted, before you ever prayed, before you were ever devoted, before you ever served in ministry, before you ever showed up at church stuff. And you want to talk about, you want to talk about engaging the valley of thirst? God the Father, so that he could be connected with you, sent his only son, Jesus. And as Jesus hung on the cross there, he said it, I thirst. He entered the thirst. He didn't run from the pain of the hunger, the pain of the thirst. Why? Because he was utterly committed to being reconnected to the people that he created so that our needs could be satisfied. You see, friends, this is why there's no room for comparisons in a gospel community. This is why there's no reason. Listen, even, even, even though we believe that Jesus is the only way, and we boldly proclaim that. It's why there's no room for arrogance in religion to people who believe something different than us. And I'm not saying there isn't right and wrong, but there, there's no room for arrogance. And here's why. Because it was never about our hunger. It didn't start with our hunger. It started with his hunger. And when we misplaced our hunger, when we allowed cheap substitutes to try to satisfy us, when we turned to all the wrong places, even though we were wired for hunger, God never wavered in his hunger for us. That's freedom. That's why, friends, I'm so glad to see such increased hunger in our church. It's a word that we use a lot, but let me be very clear. There's no room for boasting in that. The only thing we boast in is in God's hunger for us. We don't boast in how much we pray now. We don't boast in how many of us fasted. We don't boast in how much we give up for ministry. Because you see, none of that even compares a little bit to God's hunger and love for us. That's our story. That's our song is his hunger. Amen. Can we give him praise? Let's put our hands together. Amen. Let me just pray for you. Um, if you could stand to your feet as the, as the prayer ministers come forward.
Lord, we just welcome your presence here at the end of our time together. Lord, we admit we want to be at this level of hunger in Psalm 84, but we admit we're often not there. But Lord, we thank you that there's good news for that. Lord, I especially today want to pray over people who are in the valley of thirst, who are watching people get hungry around them and feel like nothing's changing in them, who know that there's more, but they don't know how to get to it, who are tired of digging in the sand, who are looking to the skies waiting for rain, watching rain even fall on other people and wondering when it's going to come to them. I want to pray over those people. I just declare this over you. If that's you in this room, you will go from strength to strength. You will go from strength to strength. You're not going to die in the valley of thirst, friend. You're going to go from strength to strength. That's the promise of God, and no good thing does he withhold. He will not withhold from you. So Lord, in the waiting places, in the painful places, in the longing places. Lord, we pray that you would stir new strength today, new vision to wait it out or to dig in the sand or to sense your presence even in the place of the desert. We say that your promise is true, that you never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, rather than believe the lies that the enemy wants to tell us about the valley of thirst, We choose to believe that the valley of thirst is actually the place of our redemption. It's actually the place where we meet with you. It's actually the place where you work the best stuff inside of us. Jesus, when he was in the valley of thirst on the cross, it looked terrible. But God was actually doing his best work. And so, Lord, we receive your grace for this journey. The grace for us Uh, to keep journeying as individuals in hunger for God, but also to journey as a community in hunger for you. Lord, help us to be hungry for each other. In the desert, when one of us gets tired of digging, help us to dig for each other. When one of us is tired of praying for rain, let us pray for rain for each other. But Lord, we renounce judgment as a community. We renounce comparisons. Lord, we renounce exalting people in their hunger instead of exalting the God who outpaces all of us in hunger. Lord, we submit ourselves to you and we pray for new strength today. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve's gonna close us.